Hello and salam. Welcome to Muslim Viewpoint, a new podcast series powered by American Muslim Today, a groundbreaking nonprofit digital newspaper which champions civic engagement. AMT informs and empowers the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims here in the US and other Western countries. I'm Rivet Malik. I'm AMT's editor-in-chief. And today we have an interview with Democratic candidates Alex and Cor- Scarlett Conwallis, who are a Muslim North Texas couple who are running for office at the state and congressional level. Alex is running for U.S. Congress District 32, and his wife Scarlett is running for Texas House District 115. Together, they are focused on representing community concerns such as health care, economic security, and funding for education. They spoke to our reporter, Maya Gaylor. Yes, I've been involved in politics. Local politics has started about six years ago uh, from the school board and then went into the State Board of Education. Now, I ran for offices on those. Uh, now, it's, it's a very heavily red district, so it was, it was a campaign effective that was run in there. Um, and in addition, what we have also done is that um, I went to Washington, D.C. and spoke with our congressman. Uh, congressman of South Asian origin when we had an issue, local issue with our um, constituents over here, with our voters here. Uh, so this has been an ongoing uh, thing for us for several years now. Uh, we have gained an enormous amount of um, um, support from the community, and it helped unite the community a lot. Well, for me, uh, as you know, I'm running for Texas House District 115. I've been involved with the Texas Democratic Party for a while. Uh, The first uh, position that I've held was within the party itself. I was a precinct chair for several years. So I've worked with candidates from local to congressional, uh, worked in their races, along with uh, just general advocacy in Texas. For example, you know, last year we had the whole... Uh, issue around how there was a bill that was being considered at the Texas House where certain uh, uh, certain folks from an ethnic background, you know, if you were Asian, like specifically, like they were targeting certain countries uh, like China or Iran or wherever, uh, you couldn't own properties in Texas. So, you know, we mobilized a group of people and you were out there in Texas um, advocating against this bill because it's unfair. You, you're you essentially targeting folks. Um, so there are several things that I've done um, from a policy perspective at the Texas State Capitol, you know, for the public education protests, I was out there, uh, which is one of the things that came out of the last legislative cycle that we didn't um, pass the voucher bill, right? So it's those types of involvements that drove me and gave me the experience to run for office currently. And you know, one thing I wanted to add, let's not forget the very, very local areas as well. Um, during the COVID, we realized there is a there is a very, very, very important county level office. It's called Commissioner's Court, right? Mm-hmm. So what they do is that they determine the budget, the money, how if, if the federal government or state government sends money to, at a local level, it's primarily the commissioner court that determines where that money goes, right? So if you ever want to make sure that money goes in the right part of the society where they need it, right? That's where you go. So we went to the commissioner course and advocated the funds to go into our school system, to go into where we need. I even advocated for setting up um, 
makeshift hospital beds in the county properties, like the college properties, right? So if you're ill and you need a transfusion because you have COVID, right? And hospitals are booked, you could actually go to a uh, facility that has been temporarily established at a county property without any, obviously it's property that's sitting there and the schools are not being used because they're shut down. So those are some of the ideas that we exchanged and we had an enormous amount of success rate you know, on, on, at, a, at this very important local level. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and then um, it's significant that you two are running um, at the same time as a married couple. So it's kind of like a power couple type stance. Um, so if you could just tell me about, you know, what that's like running at the same time, um, you know, any challenges you faced? Sure, sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> what I would say is that um, running as a couple, right? Um, I, I wanted to emphasize this point, you know, politics is more of a family affair, right? Uh, now, I know that we're we're Muslims and a lot of us came in from different parts of the world, right? And they have a different background in there. And not all of us came from places where democracy existed or even practiced properly, right? And the United States, our new home country here, uh, we had the best democracy possible in the world. And it only works if you participate very well, right? And, and you would participate as a family. It's not a power struggle. It's more of a democracy that is intended to improve the human life. And that's how you do it as a family. So when we ran as a family, it's a very important example that we set up for our children. And it also set up an example for all the other families in there that, hey, it's not just a husband goes and does the uh, campaigning and or the wife sits at home. No, we are equal partners. We go out and we achieve and we retrieve our rights, what we have for our children, for our family as a whole. Yeah, Alex covered the points actually very, very clearly. So, you know, both of us ran first of all, because of the family, right? We have children, they're growing up here. Uh, they don't have any other place to go back to. They were born and raised here. And, and many folks, many younger generation who are growing up in America, this is their home. And that's one of the reasons why we both decided to jump in the race to set that example for our children and for the children of our community that, hey, you know, politics starts at the family first. You get involved as a family, you talk about the issues, and then you participate together. You step out together into the world as a family, as a unit, and you can do this. You know, um, Alex and I are doing it. Any other family who wants to run for office, they can do it. Uh, it's about getting our voices heard and building that space for us and our children. And you know, the thing is that running as a couple, the advantage of it is yeah. that um, we can talk about it all the time. Uh, when we're driving somewhere, we talk about the strategy and all, right? And, and, and it's a unification part of it, right? Uh, so that we can put our resources together, our heads together. And that's how it is. That's right. how the corporation should be overall in the society. Uh, however, you mentioned you know, what the challenges that we face. Of course, the challenge is, um, well, if we both are involved and dedicated to this, who's going to look after our kids, right? So that's that's the timing we have to do. Now we have small kids, right? But we are extremely fortunate, right? Mm -hmm. That we have grandparents 
parents to take care of it. And being from a South Asian culture, we are very much involved with our own parents as well. So our own parents, you know, come in and help us out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and of course, our children see that, hey, mom and dad is not home. So let's, um, our grandpa is our new home. And of course, they, my children take full advantage of it because <laughs> grandparents are always very lenient. You know, that's, could be the one downside, I would think, you know? That's right. That's right. I agree with that. I think they they get away with a lot more with both of us being engaged in this campaign than otherwise. Sometimes we come in at 10 p.m. like, why are you still awake? Like, oh, grandma said it's okay. Goodness. Yeah, well, that sounds like fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyways, you guys um, are Muslims involved in your government um, in Texas. So, you know, this is an, a presidential election year. Um, it looks like it's going to be Trump versus Biden again. So there might be um, some worries on voters' minds, specifically relating to the Muslim ban and kind of just, you know, travel restrictions, immigration laws. So, um why is it important for there to be representation of Muslims in government? Sure, absolutely. Now, I wanted to point out a little bit in this. When we talk about Biden and Trump, right, and his presidential year, right, so for most of us, um, affecting that outcome at a presidential level is 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 most of it is out of our control, right? There's a lot of high finance high degree of involvement involved is, 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 is there, which we average voters, right? Uh, us, like us, right? We can affect that. However, that saying that doesn't mean that we can't participate. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, things that happen at the presidential level does not necessarily affect us right away. But what affects us right away is at the local level, let's say at the congressional level, let's say at the state level that, that Scarlett is running, at a school board level, at a commissioner's court level, right? Those are the things that we can affect. So when voters are worried about, oh, Trump, Biden, and Muslim ban coming in, what I say is that if you look at it in the past, those enforcement of those Muslim ban or those um, prejudice that came in, came in at a local level from the local officials. So what I want to assure to the voter is that what is out of your control at the presidential level, don't have worry about that. Let's focus our energy at the local level, influence, go out and vote, run for office, support your candidates that you like. Support the Muslim candidates because they understand where you're from and what you, what, what you need because their needs and the candidate needs, like our needs, are the same. Mm -hmm. And we have the same level of understanding. So that would be my statement on that. Yeah, that's very well said, Alex, because, you know, a lot of the times the presidential elections, the president cabinets and all of those positions, um, yes, their policies impact us, but it's a very trickle down effect. But what we do see here locally, uh, an example we all can relate to is that we don't have a holiday for Eid here in Texas. You know, um, I was speaking to a Muslim mom and she was like, yeah, you know, it would be so nice that if we could have a holiday here in Texas, similar to what we've enjoyed in other states, such as New York and New Jersey, right? Um, those are the small victories that we need to have for our community. Uh, you know, we need to have 
Uh, you know, my my oldest, she's 10 now. Last year, she fasted. Um, she did six fasting, which was very cool. Um, her first time fasting, like full days. We didn't do the baby fasting of three times a day <laughs> break. So, you know, these are important. So when we have Muslim students that are fasting in schools, we want to actually have policies in place in our schools that support that, right? Uh, we need to nurture and cultivate those understanding for our community in Texas. And those are the important battles. Yes, it's important to have those people elected at the federal offices or in the defense ministry or, you know, Homeland Security. All those things are important, but our day-to-day -day lives and our quality of living, that gets impacted when we run for office locally. Yeah, and then um, also relating to, you know, how our local affects global and vice versa. Um, I'm sure you guys are well aware of what's going on in Palestine. Um, and in Dallas, there have been a lot of protests um, that are mostly pro-Palestinian. So, you know, um, why is it important for local candidates to hold a opinion one way or the other about this situation that is so, um, you know, diversive. <laughs> mm -hmm. Divisive, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, sure, go ahead. Let me go ahead. Yeah. So, well, you know, a lot of people argue that, hey, um, going to city council and trying to pass a resolution about ceasefire is useless because you don't have any power. That's what they say, right? Or they say, oh, we're a local leader. We're saying it. These are at an international level, shouldn't affect. Well, I have a news for them who actually says that. Every big changes starts with psychological change at a smaller level, mindset change in there. When we talk about this, when we talk about a resolution, it may be a symbolic, but what it shows is our strength what it shows is our mindset, what it shows that we're aware of this, what it shows to our leaders at the top that, hey, this thing against humanity cannot exist. Stop the killing over there. We are human beings. All of us are human. And those are outside our American values. We are the United States. We have a 245-year-old democracy. We believe in American value. Everything's happening out there at the cost with our taxpayer money is outside the American value. And it's very important for mom and dad and everyone to show that we are against it. Because what happens is that when we express that, our neighbors also start to pay attention. So why are, what's happening in there? And the awareness comes in. And when we have an awareness at small pieces, it actually is a large jigsaw puzzle that comes together. And that is the beginning of a change we're looking for. That's why it's important to go at a local level and pass a resolution. Yeah, yeah. And local level, one of the things, you know, I personally have done is I've gone out to be city council meetings and I've spoken out publicly. And part of it is that I've mentioned to them, yes, it may seem like a symbolic gesture to you, right? But what you're doing is that these constituents who are in your community, their family members are out there in Palestine, right? They have siblings, mothers, brothers, cousins, extended relatives. You are showing to them that, hey, look, I know I can't change what's happening out there, but I understand your plight. You are my constituents in 
I want to stand in solidarity with you against the atrocities that's happening abroad. Because at the end of the day, our elected local leader, city council or county commissioner or state reps, they represent a diverse group of people. And those people are from various parts of the countries and they have family members impacted by this. So we need to stand in solidarity to show that, hey, it's about defining our basic human decency to stand shoulder to shoulder with you saying that, yes, we support a ceasefire resolution, not because we can make a change at the federal level, but it's to show we understand that this is an unjust uh, creation that's occurring out there and we want to stand with you. And you know, one thing I wanted to add in there is, um, whatever is happening in the Middle East has been going on for 70 plus years. Mm -hmm. This is not something new, right? A lot of people might think that it just started three months ago. No, it's not. It's been going on forever. But what is different now is that we have a lot more awareness at local level and we're striving to, we are understanding the value of that, of making sure everyone knows about that. It is not just simply a symbolic gesture. Yeah. It's a creation, it's an, it's an idea of understanding. And when people understand it, that's when they will actually go and participate in politics. So for example, I'll say, I always say that, and I've said that in many, many of my speeches in there, the solution to Middle East is not in Middle East. The solution to Middle East is in the United States Congress. There are only three Muslim congressperson in the, in, the, in the United States Congress. And I'm running for US Congress in District 32. I could be the fourth. And, and I want to tell my Muslim brothers and sisters is that, look, I understand you. If you want to see a change in the world with your perspective, then you need to find your own people and support them. And I need their votes and support. So this is how we create by this local awareness that sounds like just a merely symbolic gesture is actually a first step to creation of a leadership, of a, of a pipeline of leadership in there, of a support in there, which we did not have in the last 70 plus years. Yeah, yeah very true, very true. It, it definitely builds that momentum. Every drop that falls into a bucket fills the bucket. That's how it works. So we want to fill our bucket. We want to have representation. Right. So focusing on that representation and, you know, listening to what constituents want. Um, can you tell me about your each individual districts that you're running for? You know, what do your voters uh, want from from their representatives? Sure. Um, so for me, at a local level, I'm running for House District 115 and I'm going to be representing Addison and Kapow. Um, so for me, locally, it's a very diverse community, actually, so which is very cool to see in Texas. Um, and it's a growing population, lots of new people moving in. The top things that my district is really concerned with is having infrastructure, um, healthcare uh, expansion. And I think that's across Texas. You know, there was a huge issue that happened this past year with Medicaid, where a lot of people were dropped from Medicaid policy, like over 500,000 people were just nixed out of Texas Medicaid. So uh, my district does have population that needs healthcare support. Um, they need help with uh, affordable medication. So that's a big deal. Uh, affordable housing. And of course, 
the top thing that's been on everybody's mind over the last uh, few years since the onset of COVID has been public education. How do we fund and provide quality public education to everyone in Texas? And my district is not any different in terms of having growing families moving into the district who are relying on quality public education for their children, for that upward mobility to build that foundation, right? So those are some of the things that I'm hearing from my constituents. The other policy stance um, that gets mentioned a lot, but there hasn't been a lot of focus on is uh, environmental sustainability. It's a big topic, um, you know, with all these large corporations moving in, we're getting the silver line in my district, um, which is creating public transportation. So we can look into some renewable energy um, projects within the district, par create partnerships um, to build some of these things out from a policy stand. So that's also gonna be another focus area for myself and for the people of my district. Um, locally speaking. Alex? Sure. Well, you know, um, at a federal level, right, it's um, pretty much covers what it's it's a buildup from local level to there, right? Mm -hmm. Now, however, I wanted to mention, right, and the genesis of why I'm running um, and, 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 and the way I shaped what's, what the uh, voters actually in District 32 needs. Um, so I ran for uh, State Board of Education the past election, and it involved 12 counties. Uh, and of course, District 32 um, was a huge part of that, right? So I traveled many, many miles, I think thousands of miles, and I spoke to all level of peoples, you know, uh, people. Um, I spoke to people in the driveway, over the fans, you know, behind the wrench lines, you know, but but be careful of the barbed wires, you know, it gets yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it gets you. Know, you. I lost several buttons <laughs> in there. So, so I had a good understanding what they want, right? Um, I did not follow the media or the out-of-state consultants saying what the constituents need. Mm -hmm. I went and spoke to them directly. Mm -hmm. And then in District 32, right, which is uh, Richardson, uh, um, East Plano, and then uh, north part of the Dallas, Mesquite, part of Mesquite, part of Garland, and a little bit of Carrollton, right? It's kind of like a strip going like that. So I had had a chance to talk to them directly in the driveway, in the library, in the apartment, everywhere, right? And there's three things that they actually ask for, which has nothing to do with the media says out there. What it is that number one concern in their mind, no matter what you say, is that economic insecurity. They're worried that they will not have their job next day. They'll be laid off. And they're seeing that companies made billions of dollars and their profit margin is way up. And yet the next session, they just lay off people. Mm -hmm. They lay off people not because they don't have money. They lay off people because they want to uptake the profit margin in there. And, and the enormous amount of devastation that comes to a family when they doesn't do that. A company just trying to do a little bit more profit at the cost of a devastating a family. There are a lot of my friends that I know of, right? Their plans, their life plans have stopped because you know what? The, your job is very much tied, your healthcare is very much tied to your job. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have healthcare through their job because the other healthcare options that are available, they're no good. They're symbolic in, a, in a nature, I would say. 
They're just feel good insurance. But the real good insurance are the one that you get at the federal level and at the jobs, at your, at your job. And when you lose your job, you lose your healthcare. When you lose your healthcare, you lose your ability to sustain your family. And it, it becomes a matter of life and death. Yep. This is United States. We have the first world economy. We should never worry about affordability of healthcare, and that that translates to life and death. It should not happen here in the United States. And this is what people feel. They go, Alex, what can you do for those companies that made billions more than they made ever before in the COVID, and yet the next month, next cycle, they're laying off people. And I say, send me to Congress. You know what I'll do? I will make sure that any company that made profit last session, and if they dare to lay off people, they will have a hefty, hefty financial fine. And I will use that fine to pay the people who got laid off. That's the Solomon's justice in a sense. Mm -hmm. Now, second thing that they're worried about, the people over there are worried about, you know, the affordability of healthcare, you know, which is how it's tied to, right? Um, and uh, they're worried about the cost of medication. Some families in, in, in District 32, they're worried about paying for their taxes, paying for the rent or paying for insulin. And there, they are, and insulin is so, it's so, um, I would say, very inexpensive to make. If you look at insulin that's produced outside the somewhere out in the world, they literally make it at two dollars a piece, or even a dollar. Where here in the United States, it's many times more expensive than that. So there's a huge profit margin built in in there, and I want to put a cap in those prescription prices. I want to make sure that no pharmacy company, no insurance company can unfairly target people when it comes to a matter of life and death. That's how it is. People's family, their children, they suffer because of the profit margin that these companies are looking for. I'm going to put a stop to it. Third thing that they're looking for is the, their social security. They're worried about it. As if everything is there, they are waiting that when at the end of their career, they want to retire in peace. If they have not enjoyed the American dream now, they want to enjoy the American dream after, mm -hmm. after they retire. And that very same social security is now under threat. And it is called to be unsustainable. Yes, it is, because there are some technologies where the, tech, the additional, there are, there are ways the way the tax bracket is set up to fund the social security needs a lot of work. And the way others are trying to privatize social security, the way others are trying to push social security to a higher age effectively renders it useless. So it affects us. Social security is not just a right. It's actually a sign of a civilization taking care of each other. I pay to our social security to take care of people like my mom, your mom, everyone's grandma or granddad. And then when I'm older, my children will take care of me. That's called humanity. That's called we take care of each other as a society. Just because I became old does not mean I'm useless. I have a lot of wisdom. My children, my next generation will pay for me, just like what I am paying. Because the generation, the older, elder generation that I am actually sustaining, they're the one that actually put their hard work. They fought for wars in there, gave us the freedom, gave us this, this nice environment that we're sitting and talking. Mm -hmm. That's our gratitude towards them. 
That's when we want to survive social security. And this is what I've learned from my constituents in, the, in that area. And those are the three, that's what I'm focusing on. I'm not connecting with the media. I'm not connecting with what would get me elected. I want to help people. And I'm running a grassroots campaign. And I know when the voters reach out, when voters see my camp, see my policies, they will vote for me, inshallah. Yeah, and, and it's a very good point, Alex, that you mentioned the grassroots campaigning component. Um, actually, not either of us, we're not financed by large packs, um, you know. We, we really will represent the voices of our constituents because we're not subscribing to any special interest group. Because whenever PACs give you money, there are strings attached to it. You cannot spend that money in the way you as a candidate would like to spend it. PAC money comes with strings. It comes with prioritizing their interests first. And that's something my campaign and Alex's campaign are not accepting because we really want to do this for the people, for the community. Um, and that's a very important cause to us as well. All right, well, thank you both so much. I don't have any further questions for you today, um, unless you just wanted to add anything about your campaign or voting or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So early voting starts uh, tomorrow, actually, February 20th. And it's going to go through March 1st and election day is March 5th. I'm running for Texas House District 115. And please go out there and vote. Primaries are very, very important because if you don't vote in the primaries, your candidate is not going to be on the ballot in November. So it's very important for you to make that choice so you don't let other people choose a person for you. In November, you're like, oh, I didn't really want to choose this person. But guess what? If you don't show up, somebody else will make that choice for you. So it's very important that you go out there and vote. Absolutely. I want to emphasize on that. So just like, you know, a lot of us South Asian understand the cricket, right? So primary is more like the semifinals, right? And if you don't come out and vote me or Scar vote for me or Scarlett, right? We cannot go through the semifinals. This is the, we can pass the semifinals, right? And if we do in the finals, we won't be there. Right. Because you didn't come out and voted for us in primary. We didn't win and we wouldn't be there. And who will be there would be people that you haven't selected. And guess what? People select their own choices, people that actually serve them, right? So if you go in the general election and don't come out in the primary, the choices you will have would be somebody else's choices. And those choices are not going to serve your interests, right? So that's number one. I say that actually the primary is the most important vote. As the name even suggests, primary, the most important. Without that, you will never go to the final, right? Your candidate will never go to the final. Now, I wanted to actually also make sure that people understand, our voters understand, the Muslim community especially understands that, look, uh, you got to participate in politics. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I know you have built your career, you have, you have followed the American dream, you have become a doctor or, a, or, or an engineer or something like that. However, think about it this way. Everything, everything can be taken away just like that if you do not have the political power. Mm -hmm. That can be taken away, and we have seen it over and over happening in so many parts of the of the history in there. And remember, the position I'm running for, it's for United States Congress, and you need representation in there. This position is so powerful, 
a congressman of the United States is so powerful that a congressman of the United States decision shapes whether or not somewhere in the world someone lives or dies. Can you believe how powerful that is? And that powers come from you, the voters. So that's why urges Muslim voters, go ahead, implement your power that you have. You are in the United States. This is the best democracy in the world. This is our country. Go participate, show your power because that's how you protect yourself. And that is the last, last word I wanna leave with. Again, I'm Alex Cornwallis. I'm running for United States Congress, District 32. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Early voting for the primary election is February 20th to March 1st. Elections will be held March 5th. Visit votetexas.gov to find out your voting location. Thank you for joining us this week from me and Maya. Goodbye. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at American Muslim Today. And if you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to check out our website, AmericanMuslimToday.com. We'll see you next week on The Muslim Viewpoint.